Welcome to Connect to Capital, the podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm your host, Catherine Robson, Chair of the Scale Investors Board. Our vision at Scale Investors is to create a world where gender does not limit access to capital. We do that by putting our money where our mouth is and investing in outstanding women founders. But even more than that, we know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education and deep network that will enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors because we believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We hope you love this conversation and are as excited as we are about giving all entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. You know you're doing a good job as a venture investor when your portfolio companies rave about the value you can add to their business completely independently of the capital you've provided. That certainly seems to be the case with this week's guest, Scott Gunther, general partner of IAG's Firemark Ventures. Scott describes Firemark as a strategic rather than a financial corporate investor. Investing in startups to bring their capabilities inside the big insurer IAG to transform how it delivers insurance to customers. By early this year, Firemark had made 33 investments across 18 portfolio companies and had achieved six exits, including several IPOs. However, Scott sees the real measure of success in the ability of IAG to deliver meaningful partnerships with its investee companies, and he's very proud of the 13 corporate agreements across the portfolio, which create mutual value. With years of both designing and delivering digital transformation across multiple industries, Scott possesses the skills and experience of both strategy and execution, a differentiator at the board table that investee companies rave about. Hi, Scott. It's wonderful to see you. I know you've got a crazy day today, so thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, likewise. How are you? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. You were just saying as we got together that it's a sort of crazy existence being a venture capitalist. How did you find yourself in this space? You know, you get a lot of this, people just fall into it, but a lot of it is actually because there's obviously a combination of passion and I think there's a combination of skills and experience. And when you sort of collide those two things together, you know, it's something that's always been dear and close to my heart. I I was actually part of the original dot-com boom back in, you know, late 99, early early 2000s when once upon a time, you know, wearing T-shirts and shorts and uh, to to work was was trendy once before and, you know, it comes full circle. So something very much been in the dot-com boom and and, and working in digital and innovation and sort of that startup culture, but also working in it from between the enterprise and the corporate, but also that startup space is something that I've had working through my corporate career, but also edging towards, you know, the um, the startup and innovation scene. So that's sort of is where the journey started. And I've been in IAG Firemark Ventures now for almost six years. So Firemark Ventures was born back in um, August 2016. Yeah, so we're almost six years of age. So um, one thing you'll find with sort of VC and specifically CVC, you do get people with long tenure. And it's because it's such a dynamic environment that every every day is different, every month is different, every year is different. So that's sort of the background, how I sort of fallen into it. And, and I still see, even though I've been in the um, the CV space in this role for, for that amount of time, there's still a long more time uh, left to go for, 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 my, uh, for my journey here. 
And so there's so many interesting things in what you had to say there. One of the things I might pull out to start with is, you know, you've mentioned CVC, so corporate venture capital. How's that different from other sorts of venture capital? It is different. And look, one of the things, we're a strategic corporate VC, and then you still have financial CVCs. Now, um, as a corporate venture capital, you're tied to an enterprise or a corporate in our example, you know, Insurance Australia Group or IAG. But globally, you'll see a lot of the, um, the the biggest companies in the world, you know, innovate by investing in startups to bring the outside world in, so they can sort of fundamentally transform how they deliver their product or service or, or go to market. Now we think the same. So so we're actually investing into things such as emerging technology, unique sources of data, or you know, disruptive business models, and looking at startups that with those sorts of capabilities or opportunities that when you combine that with a corporate's you know brands or, or customers or or channels or, or people and technology you can actually sort of fundamentally transform what you do and, and that's how we operate at IAG Firemark Ventures it's not too dissimilar to how many other corporate venture capital firms work now I guess the difference is pure play VCs are actually motivated by money you know, so they're making investment uh, at a startup, you know, with X amount of dollars. And as that startup continues to grow and scale and the valuations lift, you know, ultimately there's an exit plan at Y. So they're actually looking for, I guess, monetary or, or, or financial return. I guess what you start to see by contrast, the, the corporate VCs aren't motivated by money. <laughs> they, you know, you still got to get a financial return. You're not going to look like to, to throw bad money away, but your primary objective is to bring, as you said, emerging tech or unique data or disruptive business models and, and bring that with a corporate to transform what you do. Yeah, so that's really interesting in terms of how it relates to time frame. So I think one of the criticisms about traditional venture capital is that you know, there's a real priority on making money quickly and sort of investing hard so that companies grow really fast or blow up, go away, and you, know, you focus on a different part of your portfolio. Whereas I think what you're saying is that possibly you have a, a longer time frame and you don't need companies to grow as quickly because you have sort of a strategic priority rather than a short-term financial priority. Is that is that right? Yeah, it's, it's almost spot on, right? And, and I think one of the things you've got to imagine that, you know, corporates are slow. Corporates have red tape. Corporates have, you know, processes, legacy systems, you know, very ingrained in what they do. So one of the things about corporate VCs is they actually help the enterprise or the corporate to think, act, and behave like a startup. So, so some of it actually can be immediacy in just sort of behavioral shift and, you know, adapting to emerging trends, you know, new customer behavior and trying to find different ways of actually, you know, evolving and growing as an enterprise. You know, that is a real byproduct of what actually, you know, we see as corporate VCs go and do. But even though I say it's a byproduct, it's, it's so important because what it then starts to do is as time goes, those longer cycles that we sort of talked about start to become shorter and shorter. But yeah, definitely, you know, it is about thinking about, you know, firstly running proof of concepts and then running trials with the startup and then really embedding that tech capability or data to be actually part of what you do. It doesn't happen overnight with a, uh, a corporate and a startup. It does take a little bit longer, as you suggested, Catherine. It's interesting because what I think I'm hearing you say is there's sort of a cross-pollinization that goes across both ways. So the startup culture hopefully imbues some of the corporate and then some of the sort of corporate disciplines, you know, maybe filter across into the startup to help them grow more quickly. Yeah, spot on. And, that, and that's why we love what we do at IAG Firemark Ventures and, and, and the, some of the world's best corporate VCs do, right? They actually think about investing. 
connecting the startup with the corporate and then creating mutual commercial value. And that's that crossover that you're talking about. You know, how do you make that startup essentially corporate or enterprise ready? How do you help that startup grow from being a startup to a global scale up? You know, and one day they will become like a, a large business in themselves. So there's so much that goes both ways around that. And I guess when you compare that to the earlier part, you know, pure play VCs don't have that same sort of point of difference that I guess a corporate VC can bring to a startup um, when they when they bring them to the cap table. And just in terms of thinking about being a strategic venture investor, presumably that narrows the universe of the types of companies that you're interested in investing in. It's not just anything that can generate a return, they're particular types of companies. What's the sort of outline of the universe you, you consider? Yeah, and, and, and you sort of start to think about your industry vertical. So let's just imagine that you're in, I guess, mining, or let's just imagine you're in like FMCG. You're going to be looking at different types of startups compared to being, say, in financial services, or, you know, if you're in something else such as maybe retail, or you might be in something else, you know, such in in aviation, the types of startups that you will look towards are obviously going to be very more aligned to solving business problems or opportunities or customer problems and opportunities. So let me, let me expand that further. If you're working in banking, insurance and superannuation, whilst the products and services that you are delivering are you know, different across each of them, the customer journey and the business problems and opportunities are probably more aligned than say the business problems or opportunities that if you're in mining, if that makes sense, yeah? So what we actually start to see is that partnering with other like-minded financial service and insurance corporate VCs is one of actually parts of our secret source because they may actually have a customer problem in the UK or a business challenge in the US and they're looking for a startup. And, and, and as an insurer in Australia, we've got that same opportunity or challenge. So that's sort of where we see, yes, you may have a narrower focus to things that are solving your business problems and opportunities in your industry, but if you reset the table, you can actually think that you can actually be more global that way because there are potentially startups that are solving similar problems or opportunities for businesses or industries just like you in other parts of the world. So we do believe what you said, Catherine, is true, but we try to rewrite the script by thinking it that way as well. Can you give us some examples of some of the companies in your portfolio? You've made sort of, you've got 17 or more companies in the portfolio. Some of the ones that, that sort of demonstrate why you really like them and, and also how they fit with that more strategic focus. Yeah, look, um, you know, we'll be very big about the fact that cybersecurity is probably one of the, um, the, the fastest growing verticals in the world, right? And it's unfortunately not for um, the right reasons in many ways, as, as, we, as we can see. But, you know, we, we have been big in our focus around cybersecurity startups, specifically because we're also a, um, an insurer of cyber risk as well. But we, we also see that prevention is better than the cure. In, in the event that you actually have a, a cyber attack or a cyber incident, you know, you essentially have lost your customers. Your brand is, you know, absolutely been tarnished, you know, yet you've lost money. And, and you know, that, that recovery time after a cyber incident attack is so long. So how do you actually think about assurance, so prevention, to actually help mitigate the need for your insurance policy to be essentially activated. So we're big around thinking about our purpose at IAG is to make your world a safer place. And that couldn't be ever so more when it comes to cyber security, right? You know, we need to think about protecting a businesses and a customer's, you know, probably richest asset now, which is their data. 
So cyber is a really big theme and we've got so much in that space and so much more to come. And as an, as an industry, cyber is going to continue to grow and in insurance, it's probably the biggest and fastest growing product for the next 10 years. So cyber is a real big one when it comes to insurance. One of the other thematic areas that we really focus on is computer vision and imagery. And this whole part of that, a picture can tell a thousand words with, with the power of things such as satellite and aerial imagery to you know, imagery that we start to see through you know, at drone level, all, all the way through to things on the mobile device. And as the world post-COVID has, has evolved for you know, more contactless, as you sort of start to see, the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning sitting on the top of imagery um, especially in, a, in, in financial service insurance, which has been very much data-driven. You're getting newer sources of data, more current sources of data, more accurate sources of data. So, so we sort of see those two spaces of, I guess, cybersecurity and computer vision imagery as probably the two biggest successes we've had in our portfolio, and we'll continue to focus on them. But I think more, more holistically, what you see with both of them is this underpin of data. And in actual fact, if you start to think about you know, we're really looking at where we can actually get unique sources of data or technologies or capabilities that can improve the leverage of data internally. So, so, so I would sit there and go, we look at everything as every portfolio investor will because, you know, you're not going to turn things away. We've got some things in IoT and augmented reality. We've got some things in prop tech and so on and so forth. But they're probably the highlights that we'd look at. And, and to be honest, if you were to think about that vertical that we were touching on earlier, it's pretty common. They'll, they'll be looking at a lot of the similar sorts of things too. Yeah, that computer vision bit, I reckon, is fascinating when coupled with AI and just thinking about some of the investments in your portfolio where, you know, the customer benefit, one of your portfolio companies can give good information about a house, for example, and the, the, the gradient that it sits on and how many rooms it has and, you know, what sort of repair it's in and all those sort of things. The customer doesn't have to input any of that data. You feel confident and then you can price the premiums in a way that means that actually the customer benefits without having to do any extra work, in fact, doing less work. So that sort of better customer experience, better financial outcome. Some of that seems really cool. It does. And, and I think if you extend it more than just beyond price, it actually sort of also thinks when you start to think about, you know, the right cover, but also as we touched on before, moving to beyond insurance to assurance and helping make your world a safer place. Like imagery can actually help a customer understand that we've got things like tree overhang on your roof, that you've actually got things such as, you know, your roof condition, unless you jumped up on your roof, you may not know, right, that's there, that you know, you extend that to sort of commercial or rural, you know, you actually can tell, again, the picture can tell a thousand words. You can be really clear and work with a customer to go, hey, this is actually everything that you actually have on your property. You know, is that all appropriately insured? So, yeah, we think it's not just about just a customer experience. We think it's obviously about an improved underwriting and a pricing outcome. But yeah, we, we try to be a little bit more ethereal as well, right? And if we can actually help customers better understand and, and mitigate their risks, well, then, you know, that, that's what we, we should be here for. It seems like you've got such a cool job, but, you know, thinking all the way back to your career across all the way back to the sort of bursting of the tech bubble back in the late 90s, early 2000s, are there any sort of experiences you've had either personally or as an investor that has knocked your confidence a bit, but that you've really learned from? Yeah, look, I think one, one of the things is we're experiencing a little bit of it right now. You can sort of see that 2021, especially in the startup and VC landscape, valuations, you know, the world was awash with capital. And then we've seen in, in, in the space of sort of four months and we're sort of into May already, right? You know, we're, we're going to see the inflation curve start to be flattened a little bit through the, you know, the challenges of 
the rate rises that we'll see not just here in Australia but across the world, right? And, and if we go back and you look back in cycles in time, there are, there are a number of things that we can point back to where we've actually sort of seen downturns in the global economy create a series of different challenges, right? So, you know, it creates sentiment issues where it creates, you know, things such as process and governance and, you know, sort of considerations inside of a corporate and, and even sort of regulatory environments sort of tend to change. And I think we're living one as we sort of speak. So we're not necessarily right at the start of it. It's obviously been going on for a little while, but we would be still sort of thinking it's early days. So I think some of the things, Catherine, is just learning, how do we get through those things, such as like, imagine the GFC, right? Let's just sort of think about what ended up happening when, you know, some of that tech bubble burst back in, you know, the early 2000s. And there's a few other points in time that you sort of start to go back through, looking at those and trying to use those as sort of reference points to actually help with your decision making is crucial. But I think at the same time, we've got to be very conscious that the world is different. You know, we weren't talking about computer vision and AI back in the early 2000s, right? And, you know, when, when the GFC was coming back through, we weren't thinking about data. So it's a little bit of an unknown going back through. So if anything, that's probably a little bit of the uncertainty that's, that's probably going through, especially in sort of the, the startup and, and VC space. And so much so you're starting to see startup founders are really looking at operational efficiency. You know, they've really got to get that narrowing down. They've really got to think about how they're getting growth, right? Because obviously that means that if you're not, you know, reducing some of your costs and you're not improving your top line, then you're potentially going to run out of capital. And then going back to the capital well at the moment is very different in 2022 than what it was in 2021. So so that's probably the biggest thing that's... Um, not necessarily keeping you up at night every day, but it's something that's obviously very, very top of mind. But as you said before, I wasn't the first person to see this and it wasn't the first time in history we've seen this either. How's the challenge for you leading through this period of uncertainty? I've seen you quoted as saying that, you know, a leader is a dealer in hope, which is a quote from Napoleon. You know, how does that sort of influence your leadership style, especially when it's a bit more difficult? I think one of the things on a personal note, right, like I'm also a big believer that, you know, you know, leadership is a responsibility to help those around you rise, right? You know, you've got to actually make sure you surround yourself with some really good people and actually sort of put them ahead of yourself, really that sort of servant type sort of leadership. And we don't just do that with our team. We've got to do that with our portfolio companies as well. We've got, you know, CEOs and executive teams and boards who are grappling with all of these things as well. So I guess when, when you sort of pull all that stuff back to be a dealer in hope and to sort of help others go around and sort of be inspirational, you've got to be visionary in your leadership, right? But you've also got to be very resilient. And I think one of the things that I personally actually would pride myself on is being a resilient individual, right? There's probably more bad things that happen today than there is good things, but it, it really becomes sort of a mindset. So specifically in this time here, it, it, it's really actually helping those around you to, to have some of that same sort of resiliency, Right. If some startup has failed, they're not the first startup that's failed. If some startup's been acquired, they're not the first startup that's been acquired. If there's a change of leadership team, it ain't the first one, right? And if it's a, the first financial downturn, it's not. So, so helping that with the resilience is a really important part, I think, to, to trying to help those around you, Catherine. And thinking about role models for you, so people that have either mentored you or that you've looked to to sort of shape your views on how to be a great leader, anyone that springs to mind? Without naming names, there's probably two individuals probably in the last 10 years in the organization that I've worked with have probably taught me three things and they have taught me to be that visionary strategic leader, actually be that dealer in hope, like paint pictures for the future that actually can set some inspiration to like, wow, what can that actually look for? 
but not just obviously the, the second part. It's not just talking to talk. You know, they've got an incredible execution and delivery focus. So they're, they're walking the walk as well, right? So they've got that part that's actually got a very unique skill set of being very visionary and strategic, but then also very execution focused. So they're all the, the two key qualities that both these individuals gave. But the third part is just being a good human. <laughs> and to be honest, right, like you can be this visionary leader, you, you can be this really results focused, delivery focused. You've got to be personable as well. We are still all people. So that, I think both of them actually taught me also to be a good human along the way. And I think that's the, uh, the other missing ingredient that I start to sort of see that successful startup CEOs sometimes miss. And it's not by intent. It's just purely because there's so much actually on, uh, on the go, right? That, so that's sort of where I've always looked at some of my mentors and people that I've looked up, that they're the sort of the three traits that they've always had. And I hope that I'm half the person that they have both been to me. And I know diversity is important to you in terms of thinking style and, and approach just to investing, but to working together in teams. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you uh, approach diversity in the teams you lead. The first part is sort of thinking a little bit about the customers and the industries that you actually work in is really important. And we're fortunate enough in a large enterprise that we've got some incredibly experienced individuals who have been in the insurance industry for a while. They've got, you know, their own demographic backgrounds are all sort of very different. So I, I never lose sight that there is an incredible network that we work with inside our organization. But whilst we don't necessarily lead them functionally, we've got to actually help lead them through sort of thought leadership and demonstrated leadership um, as well, right? But they bring so much richness because they're a really good subset of understanding how our customers think, act and behave. But on the flip side, I also then start to think I also need to make sure that our teams are diverse enough to think about the next generation of customers as well. To be truthful, I've got a very young team. By comparison, I'm, I'm the old guy <laughs> and, um, and I'm not that old by comparison. So, so that's sort of one lens to sort of take on. I think the other part is diversity is not necessarily just about the male and the female. It's diversity of skills and experiences and industries you've worked in. Diversity also in countries you live in. We, we've got people that are based in Melbourne, Sydney, Auckland and Singapore. So that all comes with a lot of different sort of thought. And, and I think when you just look at diversity, you've got to look at it through many lenses, not just necessarily one. So there's some probably insights how we sort of approach diversity along the way. But it's important that diversity doesn't work unless you actually lift it up a level and have everybody striving towards a bigger, more aspirational common goal. That's when you start to see the, the real creative juices start to flow when people with different skills, experiences and backgrounds are starting to co-create and build something that's bigger than themselves. And, you know, it's a little bit harder to naturally achieve. But if they, if they do it all together with their diverse skills they can get there. If you were giving advice to someone who was thinking about wanting to raise capital, that you know they're a founder, what, what are some of the things you would be recommending that founders be thinking about? Well, look, the one thing we talk to a lot of founders first is it takes a little while through this too, is, is you talk about diversity sort of, Catherine, is to really actually have a diverse board and a diverse group of strategic advisors listening to the same advice from the same person all the time is solid because, you know, they might be experienced, but you do need to actually have different voices of reasons. And, and, and sometimes the different voices of reasons actually will validate what you were thinking anyway. And if that confirms it, that's fantastic. But they can also offer you a different perspective along the way. I think having that as a diverse board and set of strategic advisors is absolutely crucial. 
The second thing is they've got to have passion for what they do, right? You know, if they do not believe that they wake up every day and want to build and create something that they just truly believe in, then it's always going to be a challenge. And then the third one, it, it is actually energy. You know, this stuff is not easy. You know, they, they're working long, hard hours, weekends, long nights, juggling, you know, lots of balls along the way. And we do talk a lot to our founders and then say, well, how much energy have you got in the tank, right? Like, do you have two more years to give? Do you have another five years to give? You know, they might have done five years already, right? And they don't. Because as soon as that starts to impede on some of the thinking, it impedes on some of the decision making, right? If they don't have the energy for it, then it's maybe not the right thing to do. And if they don't have the passion to build something and create it, you can see where they intrinsically start to link. And then you just got to have that wonderful, diverse sound group of advisors and board members to help you sort of deliver on that success. So, so they're the three things, Catherine, we really sort of you know look to advise a lot of our startup CEOs and founders. And how about you personally? You seem to have an enormous amount of energy for the work that you do and, and you take on a lot as the leader of the team, but also spanning across multiple time zones, you know, all the way from New Zealand at the start of the day to, you know, Europe and North America. So any productivity tips or any tips to others in, in terms of how to get the most out of something you're really passionate about? And to be truthful, right, I was, I was very fortunate to work in global roles based out in Australia many, many years ago. So you learn from some of your mistakes, but you also actually can pick up some really important tips. And the one thing is maximize your commute time. Now, I'm someone who drives. This is a great time to be using that to maximize things. You might be listening to a podcast. You might be making a phone call. You might be, you know, so it's thinking about when people catch trains, you know, do I catch up on my reading? Do I that sort of stuff? So just sort of generally sort of speaking, I think I've found that sort of maximizing some of the, the travel and commute time is actually just a, a little tip, no surprise. But the, the other one, which COVID really sort of helped go back through is when we're all sort of locked down, there wasn't much more you could do than, especially in Melbourne, go for your 5K radius. You going for a walk and one of the things I found which was really important was to clear the head was actually doing a lot of walking and talking so the ability to actually just refresh and rejuvenate with some you know some fresh air whilst you know having conversations or even just having some think time was really important and that's actually a a trait that I've kept now I know you can't do that with everybody but there's certain stakeholders and people you work with and the like who are comfortable for you to be actually pounding the pavement or walking the dog and, you know, hear some background noise. But it, but it actually makes you, I think, a much, much more productive person and, and it helps you with your mind as well. So, so they're my two, they're two, my, my two tips. And I probably I think that the last one, which I found through COVID, is being time poor. We, we stumbled across this incredible executive leadership coaching app and it's called Bunch.ai. It provides every morning a leadership development tip for two minutes a day. And it's curated through different leaders around the world. And it's an absolute must-have for everybody, right? If you can't afford two minutes every day to just go and get some leadership training and advice, and some of it's little micro-type sort of training, then you know how do you also get better in such a, a busy environment? So yeah, de- definitely a shout out for those guys at Bunch.ai and something that everybody should jump onto. You also mentioned that you know you feed your curiosity with podcasts and books and things. Any particular recommendations? I actually have probably, to be truthful, stopped probably reading as many books as I've done, and I've probably stopped you know listening to you know just the one or two podcasts. I'll be sort of quite varied. I'll I'll do crazy things and listen to a lot of sports podcasts, but also hear from like coaches and leaders and management teams and sort of stuff like that all the way through to, you know, now starting to see books really important and it's great for everybody to sort of start reading. And I used to do a lot of that. 
but I'd sit there and go, look, that most of the things that I'd probably uh, be, be hooked on every day, of course, being here in Australia and in financial services, the, the Australian financial review is a staple. Um, we, we obviously being in this space, TechCrunch is a staple and Sifted in, the, in Europe is a, is a big sort of staple as well. But again, you talk about productivity hacks. If people aren't using Google Alerts for their curated content that's coming back through and being able to use those, they're missing a trick as well. So I, I probably tended to find I've probably gravitated a little bit towards that. Maybe, Catherine, it's a bit about being time poor myself, but that, that seems to be sort of working at the moment. Last question, what are you really excited or optimistic about? I think what I'm really excited and optimistic about is that, especially at IAG Firemark Ventures, we, we've now had our second fund approved about almost 12 months ago. And we made some really good investments already out of that second fund, but we're also starting to yield some incredible benefits from our first fund. And we've seen some exits. We've got some companies that are now sort of starting to creep into that sort of unicorn status, some you know, starting to go really global. I think what I'm excited about is to sort of see the velocity of change that's actually going to happen over the next three years. And, and the current market that we're, we're working in is going to determine how quick and, and how severe and how positive and how, how negative it actually ends up being. I think what I guess I'm most excited about is the challenge that's actually going to happen between now and 2025. You know, it took us sort of six years at Firemark Ventures to get to this space. You know, I'm seriously tipping it's going to take three years to get to the same sort of outcomes. But there's so many of these external factors that are going through that I, I don't see any day being dull. I think it's going to be a, an, an exciting roller coaster ride, which you're going to have to be resilient. There's going to be plenty of adversity along the way. But I think, yeah, linking some of the threads you sort of said before, having, having a really great diverse team around us that thinks global is, is going to get us through. So I'm excited about the challenge that we're seeing in the world today because, you know, um, with challenge comes opportunity. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, lovely, Catherine. And I look forward to catching up again soon. We hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did and are fired up to take your startup journey to the next level. As an investment network founded by women, no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive, like scale investors. We believe education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both founders and investors. If you're a woman founder, Scale has two education programs, Scale Founded, a five-day short course, combining one-hour live webinar sessions delivered by experienced investors and founders, access to an online education platform, and the opportunity to network with trailblazing women entrepreneurs. Scale Founded is launching in February 2022. The other exciting program is Scale Empowered, a 10-week facilitated series, an opportunity to put your learnings into the context of your own startup with a cohort of incredible women entrepreneurs by your side. You can find all of the information and register on our website, www.scaleinvestors.com.au.